Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 134. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Darwin Holmstrom. Darwin, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. Great to have you here. Darwin Holmstrom is the senior editor for Motorbooks, a wonderful source for the world's best transportation books for almost 50 years. He's been a part of the team for the past 14 years, and he's written or co-written over two dozen books on motorcycles and muscle cars. Some of these many books are Top Muscle, Lucifer Sword MC, Let's Ride, Camaro, Five Generations of Performance, BMW Motorcycles, the Harley-Davidson Motor Company Archive Collection, Camaro, GTO, Billy Lane's Chop Fiction, and many, many more. So Darwin, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course your passion for automobiles and motorcycles? My earliest memories are being obsessed with cars and motorcycles. I remember my cousin got a Honda CB350. It was a brand new motorcycle. It's like 60, 1967, 68, something like that. So I was like four or five years old. <laughs> and I remember standing by that motorcycle. It was an orange with a black stripe. And I remember just like touching the the badge on the oil tank or the side panel or whatever it was and, and the uh, the little Honda emblem and the um, the little badge and the cam covers and all this stuff and, and looking at the pipes and, and uh, I was I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen and I had a swing set and I had an orange plastic swing and my brother had a yellow plastic swing <laughs> and uh, I remember just sitting on that swing not swinging just wishing it was that motorcycle oh my gosh and, and the motorcycle was taller than me I mean I was like I was Maybe four. Oh, sure. That same cousin got a 67 Camaro. I remember that car, too. It was just, uh, again, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, just looking at that car. And, and I guess I was obsessed with cars. I remember a 1969 Shelby ad in a National Geographic. I was uh, 
my grandfather was in the hospital and I was in the waiting room because they wouldn't let kids under 12 go into the hospital to visit back then. Hmm. So I was looking at magazines. It was small town, so, you know, you could leave the kid in the waiting room without worrying <laughs> sure. alone. So I was in, in the waiting room alone and I remember seeing this ad. It was a green GT500. And I knew nothing about engines or cars, but I remember thinking that, well, my neighbor has a 440 Dodge and that's the fastest car around. So this GT500 must be bigger than a 440. <laughs> it must be even faster. Sure, yeah. <laughs> bigger the number, the faster the car. I'm sure Carol Shelby totally had that in mind when he named it, too. <laughs> oh, you know, what's funny is you said that was an advertisement in National Geographic, which I went, really? Huh. Yeah, yeah, really. Well, what do you think? I mean, I wasn't a stupid kid. I knew what I could find in National Geographic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all remember those. <laughs> It was the most interesting thing in the hospital waiting room. Sure, sure. Well, this passion for cars and motorcycles, jump ahead a little bit here because you got into motorcycle racing, which is a pretty darn serious sport. How did that evolve? I always hung around with sport bike riders. I never got into the whole Harley thing. I grew up in a rural area, and that's all I had to ride with were Harley riders. A lot of my friends were in a club called the the BPMs, which patched over and became the Minnesota Charter of the Hells Angels. Oh, goodness. And these were these were older guys, but I mean, they were the people that had motorcycles and stuff. But I was always, I never had any interest in slow stuff. Mm-hmm. And Harleys, no matter how you slice it, are big, slow, low-horsepower V-twin motorcycles, heavy and not very agile. So I was always riding like the quickest, lightest, most agile Japanese sport bikes I could buy. I really wanted a BMW or Ducati, but I mean, the nearest BMW or Ducati dealer was like 350 miles away. So, so, you know, and, and a, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid, pretty lucky if he can afford to buy a five-year-old Japanese motorcycle for a thousand dollars, much less travel 350 miles to buy an exotic European sport bike. So I never bought into the whole Harley thing ever. To this day, I have zero interest in big, slow, heavy motorcycles. <laughs> uh, but, you know, being a, as soon as I got around other sport bike guys, we you know, started doing the riding the alphabet roads of Wisconsin and basically behaving in reprehensible fashion on public roads and turning county back roads into the our own little Isle of Man TT every weekend. All right. And from there, it evolved into track days. And once you're on that slippery slope, you're pretty much going to join a club at some point. So, Let's jump ahead a little bit further here before I get into some of my questions. But how do you get involved with motor books? I, got, I have a master's in creative writing. So, I mean, I didn't just ride motorcycles. I also went to college and studied hard and then got degrees and learned how to write. I always wanted to be a writer my whole life. I never thought of motorcycles or cars as a job. That was my hobby. What I wanted to do was be a writer. It's just that the two sort of came together in a very odd way. Um, I was uh, just, uh, I just finished my master's degree and I was, I'd applied for a job at Cycle Magazine with Steve Anderson. Mm-hmm. That was my dream job. I mean, the old Phil Schilling Cycle Magazine back when Ziff Davis published it, I think was possibly the finest example of enthusiast press in history. 
Okay. Uh, Phil Schilling was a hero of mine. He was just phenomenal. And Steve Anderson was doing a terrific job too. But then CBS, which owned Cycle World at the time, bought it. But so they owned both Cycle and Cycle World, and then they rolled the two together. I think in '92 or '93, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'd sent. I was just graduating, so I was looking for a job. So just absolute lark. I sent Steve Anderson a resume and uh, a letter saying, "Hey, I, there's nothing I'd want to do in this world more than write for Cycle Magazine." He sent me a letter back, a really nice letter. Said, "You know, you, you'd be perfect for this. This is just you're just the kind of person we're looking for." Except the August issue will be the last issue. We're shutting it down. Oh no! Oh no! I had been publishing a lot in like literary journals, like fiction, like uh, oh, there's a there was a journal out of New Orleans called the Exquisite Corpse um, by Andre Codrescu, who used to be on public radio. They ran, uh, they, they actually ran a poem I wrote about my private parts on a bar napkin while I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I'd been doing writing and getting published, but it was like li- of the literary variety. I hadn't even thought about. Other than cycle, like cycle was my dream job. I ha- and I started uh, just sending out stuff. Uh, motorcyclists started publishing my stuff. By then, I was a uh, I forget. I, I guess when I first started publishing with motorcycle, I was in my first job out of college, which was making church bulletins for the Lutheran Church as a <laughs> production editor. But uh, you know, it's actually a fun job. I had various jobs in publishing over the years. I mean, I wrote for Daily Paper. I was a. I also had a degree in photography, so I did a lot of photography. And I just started doing more and more stuff for Motorcyclist Magazine. And I, I started doing regular features for motorcyclists and uh, full-time freelancing for them. And then I started writing books. I wrote uh, a book called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Motorcycles. Mm-hmm. That was... So it was the editors of Motorcyclist Magazine with Darwin Holmstrom. At the time, I was living in western North Dakota in the Badlands. And if you read the book, it's all about a guy living in western North Dakota in the Badlands who grew up in northern Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) But they subcontracted me to write it. Uh, At the time, it was McMillan, Simon Schuster McMillan. Mm -hmm. And they subcontracted me to write it. So I wrote that book, and then I wrote a couple other books, and that's how I ended up in Motorbooks. I had a best-selling book through one of the major New York publishing houses before I ever came here. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, it kind of made sense that I came here. And I came here as like an acquisitions editor, which is sort of like a developmental editor. So I don't edit. I'm not particularly good at editing. I develop books, Mm -hmm. come up with book ideas, hire people to write them and help, you know, guide through the writing process and then uh that that's pretty much what I do still to this day and it's a I mean I had the job experience I had the subject matter knowledge and I had the uh education and background that made me sort of a good fit for this so so actually a motorcycle hooligan becoming a senior editor of motorbooks is makes more sense than you know, Tweety professor type coming here to be. <laughs> well, that's why so many people I've had on this show suggested I contact you, Darwin, because they said, hey, you know, he'd be a great person to have on your show because he fits that profile that Carja is all about is people that have taken their avocation and wrapped it into their vocation with that passion for cars. So 
Great fit, great story. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning. I usually say, so Darwin, take the wheel, but I'm going to say, Darwin, take the handlebars. Well, in this case, the wheel or the handlebars are appropriate because it's a, that's an easy question to answer. So Chiro Honda once said, my life has been a series of failures. How do you tie that into your life and your business and your passion for cars? Would you consider Sochiro Honda a failure? <laughs> of course not. And that's why I want to hear how do you wrap that into how you identify yourself? Because your story sounds like a success story to me. Oh, I've made lots of mistakes. <laughs> well, you know, and, and we'll get to one of my questions that talks about failures and challenges in a moment. But Let's take that quote that you like from him and tell me how you've how it has some meaning to you in your career. Because it's the failures that you learn from. Ah, yes. It's not so much the successes as much as the failures, the failures that show you the direction for the future. And if you're the kind of person that just sort of rolls over and goes to the bathroom on a soft underbelly and submission when you have a failure, that's all you're ever going to have is failure. But if you learn from your failure, if you, if you get stronger from your failure, and if you uh, move ahead using those lessons, that's how you succeed. Perfect. I love that. And it has such meaning to many of the uh, Carja listeners and the Carja guests, that entrepreneurial spirit that you're going to fail a whole lot. You're going to fall down a whole lot. Get back up on that horse or that motorcycle, if you will and keep going. That's perfect. I love that quote. That's a new one here. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Could you tell me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about being four years old and standing next to that Honda, but that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? I never lost that. I always loved cars. I was always fascinated by cars. I remember I just stopped what I was doing every time. I remember remember the first time I saw the new 70 and a half Camaro. It was like, it was, I I just couldn't believe I was seeing something that was so beautiful. And I mean, that went on and on. But when I was about 12, I mean, I already had a motorcycle by this time. I already had my first dirt bike. I was 12 or 13 I worked on a farm. I mean, I worked, my dad owned a farm and, and uh, I, I started working on the farm when I was six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. We had our neighbor who was uh, about seven, six, seven years older than me. So he was probably graduate, just graduated high school. He worked for us as our hired hand. And he had, he had a 1972 Challenger rally pack with oh, wow. a four-speed with pistol grip shifter. and <laughs> Nice. He used to let us drive it all the time, my little brother and I. I mean, so I was 12 years old driving around in this Challenger. It was yellow <laughs> with the oh, black man. strobe stripes. Yeah. It was, a, it was identical to the Brock Yates Cannonball Challenger. Identical. Oh, Same stripes. It was identical. Same color, everything. Except Brock's was a 71 that had been... They'd put 72 trim on it for photo shoots for the publicity photos mm-hmm. for like the ads and stuff. So technically it wasn't identical. <laughs> yeah. It was a 340, four barrel. I remember starting that thing up. Sometimes I'd just come in from the field and it'd be sitting there and I'd get in it and I'd start it up. 
just to hear that 340, that LA small block just revving. And yeah. If there was ever any turning back, at that moment, there was no more turning back. <laughs> wonderful. That's a, a great memory. It paints a wonderful picture in my mind, you flying down dirt roads in that thing. Did all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. We talked a little bit about failure as part of your success quote, but what I want to do now is crawl into the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced. But more importantly, how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I've had some pretty bad motorcycle wrecks. So I have, um, I mean, according to the state of Minnesota, I'm officially handicapped. Oh my gosh. Porn star parking. But I'm in better shape other than, you know, some agility issues, which never come up in most circumstances. I probably physically in by far the best shape of my life right now, which I don't think I would be this fit if, uh, if it hadn't been for the life-changing injuries I've suffered. I, uh, you'd mentioned we were chatting earlier, your father broke his neck. I, I once had an accident that was so bad that uh, I don't know if you know where Turn 1 in Brainerd is, the oh. old Turn 1, mm-hmm. the Brainerd International Raceway. It was the most dangerous corner in North America. I got clipped in that corner and went down, went flying through the air at about 127 miles an hour. I know I was going about 127 because I was on ultralight, and that's where valve float set in. Oh, gosh. And when he was listing my minor injuries, my crushed vertebrae was in the minor injury list. Oh, no. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, I think the medical term for what that was was a humdinger. It was a challenge to overcome that, but that challenge motivated me to become physically the best I have ever been. Mm Mm-hmm. As far as vehicles, the most challenging thing I ever did was put a new top on a Miata myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a little different. (laughs) That was a lot of work. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing that very personal story. My goodness, some things to overcome, just uh, incredible. But I love the way that they've turned your mindset into getting into great shape and being in great shape. You mentioned you're 51 years old, right? Yep. Yeah, as you get older, it gets harder, and especially having overcome those injuries. So thanks for that. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum, and I'd love for you to share a story. When you had a real aha moment in your career, a time when you realized that, you know what, I think this is really going to work, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. Actually, my aha moment came before my career. It came when I was in college. I was, uh, well, actually, it came when I went to college, before I went to college. I was, um, I was working at a factory. Miserable, horrible place. It was just a, a rancid, filthy, stinking sugar beet factory in the northern Red River Valley in North Dakota. And all my friends from high school worked there. That's where everybody went to work. That's what you did. You didn't go to college in my hometown. You just, you either graduated or you didn't. It didn't really make much difference. And then you went to work at the sugar beet factory. And then you died. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, and I hated it. I just, every day I'd go to that job and I just hope that 
the boiler had blown up and there'd be a, like a, a mile long crater oh, my where goodness. the factory used to be. Because oh. nobody quit there. It was a good job. He didn't quit a good job. I was running these filters and I was working with this grad student from NDSU in, in Fargo. And she was uh, getting her PhD in chemistry and she was specializing in egg chemistry. NDSU is sort of a farm school. Mm-hmm. She was a gorgeous woman. She was maybe three, four years older than me. And all my friends were like, oh, hey, you know, you're working with this beautiful woman. How, you know, hubba, hubba, hubba. And, you know, what's like, I said, you know what's amazing? She loves what she does. Hmm. In my life, I had never met anybody who loved what they do. Everybody, farmers, all they did was complain about farming and how hard the work was. People at the sugar beet factory, all they did was complain about how hard the work was. All anybody did was go to these jobs they hated and complained about and and then came home and got drunk just to yeah. forget the misery of their lives. Yeah. And uh, uh, my friend was, I was talking to my friend and I said, how come we're not doing something we love? <laughs> he looked at me and said, people like us don't do stuff like that. People like us do stuff like this. And a light bulb went off of my oh, head. Thank goodness. <laughs> I thought, maybe that's true about you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still working in jobs he hates. I was actually thinking about buying a new car. I was thinking about buying a new RX-7 Turbo because, you know, I was so car geek still. Mm-hmm. I was literally, I just ready to sign the papers. I'd been negotiating a deal on this carryover RX-7 Turbo, um, which was pretty, it was like the fast car you could buy at that time. I called the sales guy up at the Mazda place. I said, forget it. I'm not getting it. I went and enrolled in, in college. Wow. And I'd, I'd had like a couple of failed attempts at college before. So I had like seven credits out of a year and a half of mm-hmm. basically going to school and partying. I went back to school, got, I got my undergraduate degree in three years. I had like a, I had like a straight A GPA and breezed through grad school and ended up doing what I do now. Oh, wonderful, wonderful story. Wow. <laughs> I love that. It chills, chills up my spine, but what a fortuitous experience to be with that, that woman and learn that incredible life lesson. That's fantastic. How about proudest career moments is there i'm sure you've had many but is there one in particular you could share with us well my my first feature article was pretty amazing my uh my first book complete idiot's guide to motorcycles was pretty proud of that believe it or not my first car book which was like my ninth or tenth book that i wrote it was muscle america's legendary performance cars that i did with randy leffingwell and david newhart I was really proud of that. It was a great book. I'm really proud of some of the books that I've I've hired, I've developed, and had other people write, like uh, you know Randy's books. Um, they're they're you know we've done just some amazing work together. Yeah. But you know, to be honest with you, also very proud of the, of having worked with some of my the people I've been most fascinated with some of the most iconic cultural figures of the 20th century, like Sonny Barger. I did a book with him from the hell's angels who is a superb human being. It was, that was the let's ride Sonny Barger's guide to riding the right way for life. It was just, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a how to ride motorcycle, almost a beginner's guide to riding motorcycle for, uh, Harley guys, but mm-hmm. if you've seen some of these Harley guys out foot paddling their giant bikes around parking lots and stuff, they need some help. Yeah. They're they're not they're not skilled riders. You sure. Know? 
riders over 50 on large heavyweight cruisers are comprised the largest group of people getting killed on motorcycles right now. Uh, yeah. Just having a big, heavy, slow bike won't save your bacon if you don't have the proper skills. Right. So, I, you know, if any of those books saved one life, I would say that's something to be proud of. Oh, but absolutely. honestly, I just, I don't think I was ever happy until I completely quit putting ego energy into my work. Hmm. It's more like, now they're, now a book, I, I, I love the books I do. It's more like an affection that you have for your child than it is a, proud of, you know, some sort of ego investment in an object, you know? I, right. What you're talking about is giving back, giving back to other people, providing them with things that can help them. At least trying. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And can you share maybe one memory you had with that vehicle? I had a 70 Duster with a 340 uh, 344 barrel four speed. So it had the, the big heads, you know, the, the, the big heads that came with the four, uh, the four barrel carb. It had a, it had the stock Carter thermoquad on it and it had a Dana 60 rear end with what? Four, ten, four, ten gears, right? Or were they 411? I forget. But anyway, it had the dump pulling rear end. You could do burnouts in third gear in it oh from gosh. a standing start. It was pretty stock except it had traction bars, which really helped it hook up. Mm-hmm. I'm, quite a fan of that LA 340 small block Chrysler engine. I think it's one of the the most fun street engines ever made. But that thing was really fast. It, sounds it, was, like it, it weighed nothing. It was an old found car that a local guy had just taken an old duster out of a pasture and thrown in a really hot 340 engine. I bought it for like 500 bucks. I sold <laughs> after my brother blew it up drag racing it. I sold the rear end for 750 bucks. Nice. <laughs> the only race I ever lost with that was to, and this was by just inches. When I say race, we had out in the country, we had spray painted a quarter mile off on an old isolated county road. That's that was our race track. Yeah, <laughs> was uh, to another three forty uh, small block. This was a, a seventy Cuda with a three speed of all things. But that it was like the stock three speed. That thing really hooked up too. I mean, that was the key, just not to burn your tires off. Right. It was just fun. I beat four fifty four Chevelles and stuff. Not LS sixes. You know, nobody had nobody had nice cars back then. <laughs> I mean, these were. You know, we bought cars for five hundred, a thousand bucks, and drove them until some moron blew them up. Right, know? and you get another one. <laughs> very, yeah. very cool. How about current projects? Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Right now, I'm writing a book, uh, uh, History of Indian Motorcycles. It's an official project for Indian, uh, which is owned by Polaris Industries, a uh, local company, and. I'm really enjoying that because the the history of Indian motorcycles is the history of transportation. I mean, Indian motorcycles were one of the first commercially available internal combustion transportation devices you could buy. You know, wow. they were they they started selling uh they started selling to the public. They built the first three prototypes in 1901 and started selling motorcycles in 1902 
you know, this predates the Model T, it predates Harley Davidson, it predates everything. And I'm really enjoying this product uh, project because it's uh, forcing me to just study the the very origins of the internal combustion device as a consumer product. Oh, very cool. Sounds fantastic. Sounds really interesting. When will that book be out? Do you have a publishing date? It'll be out next fall. I think my deadline is uh, February 1st or something like that. So that would make it probably an October release. Okay. Well, great. October, November. Fantastic. We'll look forward to that. Now, here's a funny question for you, Darwin. If you were a car, what kind of car would Darwin be and why? Hmm. I would like to say I was a Miata, but I'm not sure I'm as reliable. <laughs> I might be more of a Lotus Elon. <laughs> Actually, I'm not lift or, or agile or anything like that. So I'd like to think I was like that, but the reality is I'd, I'd probably be a, you know what? I'd probably be a, a, I'd probably be a 396 Chevelle with a vinyl top. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. Just a kind of meat and potatoes work workhorse of a muscle car. Yeah. Okay, Darwin, we're ending what I call the last lap. And since you are a racer, you know what this means. The white flag's out, and that means the throttle is up. And we're almost to the end here. I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Never buy a new car. (laughs) Yes, I've heard that one. Great advice. I just had that conversation with my daughter. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Obsessive, compulsive desire to learn. Ah, perfect. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you go to uh, often? Yeah, there is. There is. It's uh, mx5miata.net. Oh, okay. That's a new one. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I know. I mean, Miatas are the cars. I, I, that's what I own right now. I've got two Miatas, and I just love them. You know, I had a guest on yesterday, Jim Simpson, and he's a restoration, but he also designs cars. And Miata sent him a car years ago and said, do what you want with it. And he completely rebodied it. And he talked a lot about how much respect he has for Miatas, how what a great pl- platform they are. So very interesting. I'm fighting every with every fiber of my being not to get into racing Miatas. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, that sounds like fun. They're fun little cars. Could you share just one book that you're really fond of with our listeners that they should get their hands on? Well, would it be uh, self-indulgent to share one I wrote myself? No, not a, wouldn't at all. I love Top Muscle. It's the newest. I, I have a new book coming out, GTL 50 Years, that is really good too. But, but Top Muscle was so much fun to write because it was about cars in the Brothers Collection. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I love that book so much is because every car in there had a personality. It wasn't about GTOs. It wasn't about Shelbys. It wasn't about Camaros or, or Hemis. It was about that car. Every single car in their collection has an amazing story behind it. Awesome. Okay. So it was like doing personality profiles of each of these cars. So it was a, it, it's almost like getting to know a person to, to <laughs> research those cars. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, Randy's incredible photography. If you have not seen that, you have to see that book. It's like, it's breathtaking. Oh, well, I'll get my hands on that. And I'll re- remind our listeners that you can get your hands on this book and all these resources 
at carsyad.com slash Darwin Holmstrom. Okay, Darwin, this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage and money's no object, what would that one vehicle be and why? If I could have or... You, yeah. I'm going to give you one collector car. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars, so that little trick is off the table. I've already got it. My 95 Miata that I've been fixing up, doing a little work to and and building myself, I just can't imagine any other car I could have more fun with. (laughs) Well, you're going to make things pretty easy for me since you already have it. Some people here are choosing things like Ferrari GTOs that are going to definitely break the bank. Well, I only... Paid thirty five hundred for mine, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. If if I, I mean, I could trade it for a Ferrari GTO and buy like every Miata ever made. But <laughs> no, you can't do that. Well, I think it's pretty cool that you have the car of your dreams in your garage. That is very nice, Darwin. You've taken me on a really great ride today, and I'm really happy that your friends and buddies suggested I call you and have you on cars. Yeah, I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. Would you give us one? parting piece of guidance before you drive off in the sunset in that Miata? Do what you love. Uh, Don't worry about what people expect you to do. Don't worry about whether you're going to make money or or it's going to support you or whatever. Follow what you love because that will put you on a path that puts you in contact with other people who share the same passions as you. And over time, It'll all work out and you'll get where you need to go. Do the hard work. I mean, don't just say, I love to be a writer and then just start writing. You need to learn how to write. I want to be a motorcycle racer. You need to learn how to race motorcycles, how to ride motorcycles. You can't just go hop on a MotoGP bike and, you know, start doing hot laps running with uh, Marquez and those guys in MotoGP. You need to do the hard work to develop the skills, and it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do to do what you love, but put the effort into it. Follow what you love, not what somebody tells you to do or what you think you're supposed to do. Very well put. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Motorbooks? Motorbooks.com, um, Amazon, a lot of them, some of them, used to be a lot of them, but now some of them are still in bookstores. Uh, mm-hmm. You should be able to find a copy of Top Muscle, but... Your best bet is probably Amazon or motorbooks.com. Everything you ever wanted is there. Well, listeners, again, you can find resources and everything on Darwin's show notes page at carsyacom slash Darwin Holmstrom. Darwin, thank you again for being so generous with your time and your expertise. I've had a lot of fun traveling down this uh, road of life with you. What a great joy it's been. Thank you so much. And until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.